Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. All right, I'd like to welcome Darius Kilgore to the Philacrosophy podcast. Darius is an all-time great in the world of box lacrosse. Darius won two Minto Cup championships with the St. Catharines Athletics, won five-man cup championships with Six Nations, won championships in the NLL as a player and as a coach. And Darius is one of the smartest lacrosse minds I've ever met. Darius, welcome to the show. I'm really pumped to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me, Jamie. And thanks for your introduction. <laughs> I remember one time you were like, some kid was like, you know, we were doing a camp up in Niagara in the Lake, and some kid was like, you know, asking you, you know, what you did. And you're like, I don't know. I'm in like four or five Hall of Fames or something, but not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you got to explain who you are or what you are, then don't. <laughs> you're not worth it. You're not going to win that. Um, all right. Give us, uh, the, I always, I, I like to start these podcasts off uh, by just uh, setting the scene a little bit of sort of where you came from. So give us an all idea, uh, all an idea of where, where you grew up and uh, your journey as a player. And then, and then we'll sort of transition into your journey as a coach. Well, I grew up on Tuscore Reservation, but unfortunately at that time, um, we didn't have lacrosse on our reservation. So for minors, I had to go over to Canada and played in uh, Niagara on Lake through the minor system. Um, after that, I played two years of Junior B um, and before I went to Junior A because St. Catharines held my rights and all through minors, me and St. Catharines didn't get along, so I didn't really like them. But at some point, I had to make the jump. So I went to Junior A, uh, St. Catharines, then went on to uh, Brampton, drafted me in the majors and played two years there. Went to the Chiefs after that, played three years there. Then we went to uh, Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, and uh, we, we played out of there. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a long journey. And the thing for me was I was always the outside. So it was always hard uh, coming into a team when there there's set personalities and stuff. So I, I, got to, I got to see how to sort of integrate into a team without, you know, you, you sort of have to step in with humility first can't come in to a team and say like hey my team now you know that that doesn't work so I learned a lot by having to come in and and have humility and stuff like that that's cool the philocrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the jm3 video assessment tool there's no question that video is critical to player development One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com. Let's go. Let's uh, turn the clock back to the um, to those athletics teams. Tell us a little bit about you know winning those Mitchell Cups and and who some of the uh, players that you played with that you know stand out in your mind. Um, you know, when I first got there, these were all competitors. So it was real, you know, I, I, I had I had them in mind as a competitor, not a teammate first. And the guys I respected most were like Randy Mearns, Darren Much, Trevor Vidal, 
Um, these were all St. Guys. guys. Steve Finnell was playing there at the time. Um, you know, then, of course, my brothers, Rich, Trav, my cousin, Joe Fajani. Um, you know, we had a really talented team. Tyson Lees was on that team. I think in 90, the first year we won it, we had four of the five top scorers in the league. Wow. Um, and me, Rich, and Randy were top three or four, and we all played on the same line. So, like, you, you know, we were pretty well stacked as a team and, and as a line for sure. Um, the next year, um, every you know, everybody graduated. And I think we won with 11 rookies in the lineup, which, you know, going back and looking at it, that was probably the toughest one because, you know, it really did fall on us to be leaders instead of, you know, looking up to Randy and Rich and, and sort of following them. Um, and we had a lot of young guys that were really great. Um, you know, Stevie Toll was coming in then. He had a great series. Uh, Grant Johnston, he had a great series. Uh, and the great thing with them is they, they sort of fell in line and sort of bought into what we were doing, and they didn't try and come in and change things to what we were doing. So that was really a great experience uh, of being led and, and having a lead, and it taught me a lot for, for going on to the majors. Darius, how much lacrosse development did you experience at organized practices versus in the backyard with your brothers? <laughs> Um, you know what, really back in the day where we were at, there was no coach. My father was my coach and he never played a game of lacrosse in his life. The one advantage he had was he was a logical thinker and he sort of broke the game down in terms of that logic. And that sort of seeped in the, the way I break the game down. So in terms of skill, he taught me nothing, but in terms of how to play the game, he taught me everything. Um, you know, he didn't give me a fish. He taught me how to fish. And that's all I'd ever play in a game in my life, which I can't, you know, it's really hard for me to fathom how he tapped into that without ever having that experience. Um, but the backyard, you know, I played with guys that were older than me. Emmett Printup out of Syracuse, Jimmy Bissell, he's, he played for the Buffalo Bandits, uh, Bear Henry, guys on, all on my reservation. They taught me so much because I was lower than them and they could, you know, they could beat me in things and, and I was never the best player. So I always had to be the hard worker, which I think, you know, was the strength of my game and, and sort of carried me when, when, you know, I wasn't as talented as some other guys. So the backyard for me was, was the place to be. And, and we played, man, I don't know how many times we played backyard lacrosse. Every morning, get up, call the boys, let's get together, meet at somebody's house, and away we go. We had some pretty fun times this summer playing a little backyard lacrosse at your house. Uh, awesome times, man. Awesome. And, and and I'll tell you what, every person that came was like, they loved it. Um, the parents still talk about the time you pulled the kids aside and sort of showed them some dodges and stuff like that. The kids talk about that. Um, you know, I, my, you know, my buddy Clark, so, you know, he talked about it before everything happened, but you know, everybody, Nick, me, it was a very enjoyable time. And the personal personalities that were there, everything matched and it was really, really special. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you know, and I, it's funny because, like, Darius, um, you pride yourself on being a great goaltender, in which, uh, which you know, like I tell you, like, in shooting drills, maybe you can stop me in games. I think I'll score on you. <laughs> Just kidding. But, um, um, but the point I'm making here, though, is that, you know, being a great goaltender, your brother was probably a great goaltender, too, because you guys took turns, like, learning how to play goalie so that the other guy could shoot. And, you know, the way that we're going to talk more about shooting in a little while, but – you know, that's, I feel like what most people don't really understand in the lacrosse world now is that 
you can become an amazing shooter by shooting with tennis balls on a no equipment goalie in the backyard with a little net. And I just want you to uh, just elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, for me, that's where you really learn finesse of the game and you need finesse in the game when you get to the highest level. You're not, you know, I, I remember a guy named uh, uh, AJ Shannon. A lot of people know him. I think he went to Virginia yes. and I drafted him and he was a tremendous player and a great person. I loved him, but he, he shot like 105 miles an hour, but he shot like he, he let the goalie know exactly where he was shooting through his body language and they were all over it. And I was trying to tell him like, man, if you get a little deception in your game, that would change everything, but he couldn't get it. He just wanted to throw the ball really, really hard. Where in the backyard, if you take turns playing net, guess what? If you whipped it at me when I was in net, guess what I'm going to do to you? And I'm going to whip it at you. So it's really not about, hey, just whip it by the goalie. It's about, hey, how can I get the goalie to, you know, how can I take the goalie out? And you learn to develop those because you're not, you can't just whip it by the goalie. That gets really boring because you could do that. So it really comes down to how can I deceive the goalie? And when you learn how to deceive a goalie, it's, you know, goalies have set rules that they play by. If you can learn to deceive them, you can use it against all goalies everywhere. So for me, like, I'm not, you know, I, I used to try and, because I shot real hard. I tried to show all the young kids, man, here, just whip the ball, whip the ball. But as you get a little bit older and understand, understand the goalie a little bit better, all of a sudden, it's about like, man, it was really cool to see him go the wrong way and try and back goal. And that's what the backyard's about, and that's what using tennis – and also tennis balls gives you a better handle because it tends to fly out of the stick because it's so light. So it's better – you know, I love to teach kids that when they're, you know, when they're learning, give them a tennis ball. The ball will pop out, and they'll get frustrated and all that. But in the end, they'll have what we call soft hands, and that's what you want in box cross is soft hands. You know, you, 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 um, one more thing about the backyard. I remember you saying this to me one time. You were like, I don't, you, you said something along the lines of, I remember I spent, I spent a summer and I decided I wanted to learn how to shoot a curveball and I worked on it at home every single day. Um, tell us that story, if you don't mind, real quick and explain what a curveball is. Uh, curveballs is another deception shot. You know, a, a simple one would be, I want goalie to think I'm right handed. I want to think I'm shooting short side top corner. But I'll actually end up going far side top corner with a little bit of curve and a little bit of deception with my shoulders. Um, Derek Keenan and Bob Hanley and them, they're lefties. So I actually learned it from them by watching them in practice. I just stand behind them and just sort of try and get what they were doing. And then I had to go and practice it myself. And, you know, it's funny. Kids are like, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you do that? And I'll show them. And they'll throw it three times, and they're like, ah, you know, it doesn't work for me. Well, I threw that a thousand times before it worked for me. So if you want to learn how to do anything, really, you need to go outside and put the time in. But, like, the curveballs and all that, that's such a, that's such a neat thing. And if you can learn that, man, you, you really are a leg up on the goalies. Who's got the best curveball right now in the NLL? Uh, one of the stops. Randy and, and Austin both throw it. They throw it far side, top corner. One's a lefty, one's a righty. Um, and, and I think they and, – and I would say, they, you know, I say the Stotts boys, they're the youngest ones. Cody Jameson is the best at it. Cody's so, incredible. Cody's the best shooter right now. But, you know, obviously he's getting to the top of the hill. And the Stotts boys coming up, Austin obviously is going to – you know, he's a sick shooter. And Randy, he, I'm sure he's learned it from Cody and Austin learned it from Randy. and. 
obviously totally learned it from me. So that's where that stuff goes. Yeah, it's called the pass it down model. That's the way it goes, man. And then next step is you take it, make it yours, and add to it. And then the next generation is further on than you. Tell me if this is a good characterization of what a curveball is for people that are trying to understand what that is. So if you're a right-handed player, normally everybody kind of understands that if you shoot three quarters, it looks like you're going top right. You can pull it to the low left. But if you shoot a curveball, your, your, your three-quarter angle is to the inside, and it looks like you're going low left, but you curve it to the top right. Is that a, is that a good description of it? Yeah, I mean, basically, I, I want to I bring my hands and my right shoulder through. And by bringing it through early, it looks like I'm going to, you know, short side. And at the last second, just with my top hand, turn the wrist over, and the head flips and goes towards the far side top corner. It's really simple, but it's also the body language that you use. You know? Yeah. It, it, I always try and tell my guys in practice, like, look, you go in there and you try and score every time in practice. That doesn't matter. You need to go in there and fool the goalie every time. I, my goal is when I, when I practice, I just wanted the goalie to go the wrong way. Whether I scored or not, I don't care. But if I got him to go the wrong way, then I know I got the deception, and it's about hitting a spot after that. It becomes easy. Right, but you got to get the deception down first. I totally agree. I think that there's so much emphasis put in this day and age, and you know, shooting mechanics. And I, I don't think shooting mechanics are are a waste of time. But I don't think I think there's way too much emphasis put on that. It's like shooting on no goalie all the time. I mean, the whole the whole key is what you just said is it's not about whether you scored. It's a matter of whether you you fooled the goalie. Because if you fool the goalie and you got the goalie you're going to score. And if you don't, you know, then you're not going to score. Um, right. I want to switch gears to, um, to some, of the, some, of the, some of the greatest players that you played pro and, um, and senior lacrosse with, the guys like John Tavares. You just mentioned Bob Hamley and some of these other guys. But just tell me a little bit about some of these guys and what you took from them and what you learned and the things that stick out in your mind um, from a skill and an IQ perspective on some of these guys and maybe throw in a story there if you have a good one. Uh, you know, one of the guys that's not mentioned uh, lately is uh, Jim Veltman. Um, you know, he was such a, uh, an intense individual. I, I remember one time uh, we were playing in Brampton and uh, he, w he went in for a loose ball. He got the loose ball. He comes off and, man, he had an egg on his shin. The guy slashed him right across the shin. And I'm looking at it and it's bleeding. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's, you know, the egg sticking an inch out of his shin. And he's looking at the game, like, cheering the guys on. Didn't even notice that he had that egg on his shin because he was so into the game, right? Where, you know, that made me think, like, geez, maybe I shouldn't be crying about what I'm crying about. And I should, focus, you know, that kind of focus uh, it takes you further in a game than that, oh, wow, you know, you're crying about the wrong things. Um, you know, Jim, uh, John Tavares, obviously, he might have been the smartest player to ever play the game. Um, he could score in so many different ways, you know, pick a pass off, uh, lay a big hit out, get a loose ball, read a loose ball, um, power play, breakaways. He could score every single way there is. Um, you know, we talked about this before. When you think of a scorer, usually, you, you know, you say Gary Gate, and you get a picture in your mind of the type of goal he's scoring. You know, with John Tavares, when I think of John, I can't get one picture of the goal he's scoring because he just, he did it in so many ways, and he did it with his mind. 
You know, I, I was reading a, a quote the other day by Tony Rush from a while ago, and, you know, he mentioned, like, you know, John Tavares, you think you did a good job on him. You look at the box score, and all of a sudden he's got four and three at the end of the game. And he did nothing spectacular. He didn't ever make the crowd go ooh and ah. He just did what he did, and he <laughs> scored goals, right? Yeah, Pat Coyle, he, you know, the intensity he brought to the game um, was unparalleled. You know, I, I thought I was intense until I met Pat Coyle, and then it's like, wow, this guy's, uh, this guy's on another level. But you need that in your game. You need those people next to you to – to say like, okay, well, I'm being selfish or I'm, you know, I'm not focusing the right way. You know, these are the type of guys that will show you where, where you need to get to. So, um, you know, and then the, the shooting wise, like Derek Keenan and, and Bob Hanley, I had so much respect for the older guys coming out. Like I really did want to learn from them where, you know, there's something changed nowadays with the kids coming up today. Like, you know, I've, I've seen kids talk back to Rich Kilgore, Mark Burnham, me, like, you guys are – you don't know who we are or what we've done, obviously. You know, you need to know these are people you need to listen to. And nowadays it's sort of like they want to say that the game's all different. Well, the game doesn't, hasn't changed ever. You know, the way it's played has changed. But the game itself, that's not changing, right? So, for me, I look at, I look at people that have done it and say, okay, how did they do it? And then try and bring that into my game. That's such a huge part of it to, to be able to be coachable. And that's one of your quotes, be coachable and be able to learn. If you can do those two things, you can go as far as you want. Yeah. And, and I think that was one of my biggest things was I was very coachable and, and I, I stole from everybody. I can't lie about that. Yeah, no doubt. Which is one of the reasons why we've enjoyed hanging out. So just so the listeners know, uh, Darius, you and I met, Back in probably 2012, I think I think it was around where, when it was. And our sons, my son Colin, your son Kyler, were playing minor lacrosse together for St. Catharines, and they were bantams, and they were on an amazing run, 13-0 uh, in the uh, qualifiers, which is pretty sick. Uh, and then they went up to uh, final six and didn't have quite the result that they wanted to. But um, we started talking a lot of lacrosse. I remember our argument where I was just like really – I'm adamant that feeding behind the back is a great way to feed. And you are adamant that, yeah, no, I don't, I don't agree at all. And, uh, and, it, and it was so funny. Cause I was like, yeah, well, I, that's fine. I don't, I don't care that you don't think it's good. Cause I do. And, and, and it was just the, the beginning of a lot of lacrosse talk. And the beauty of it is, is that the majority of the time, I think we agree on a lot of things and share a lot of great information, but, um, but it's been, it's been good memories. And now your son, He's going into his final year playing junior lacrosse for St. Catherine and mine's playing uh, St. Catherine's and mine's playing for the uh, junior Adonax. And so hopefully uh, it could be a great year for the uh, athletics this year. They're going to be pretty loaded up. Maybe they're going to have a chance to get to uh, get out to BC and, and play in a Minto. I was out BC and that's good, man. I'll tell you what, St. Catherine's better do it, man. You know, that group, just the, the group that you just mentioned, right. They've been together a long time and this yeah. is their last end, man. Yeah. So, I really hope they go there with that in mind. Like, you know, you guys are – I told Kyler, too, like, hey, last year, man, no more following people. It's your turn. Your time to step up, and if you want it, you leave them there. But that's by example. First one there, last one out. First one done in the sprints, and, you know, you do all that stuff, and you got nothing left, right, last year. 
Yeah, no doubt. And, um, I mean, you talk about the players on that athletic team that they all grew up with. You know, Latrell Harris, of course, went straight to the pros at age 18. And Carter Zavitz, you know, plays at Princeton. He's a 99. And Alex Simmons plays at Denver. And um, who else we got? We got Kyler. We got – let's talk about him. We got uh, um, Nick Demude, the goalie. Is, is, he, is, he, is he on the roster on the Rochester Nighthawks? Is he on the roster? Because he got drafted by them. Yeah, I, I think I think he's a practice player right now. Practice squad, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's gonna they got they got a heck of a lineup. So it's it's pretty exciting. It's a great group, great family. It was it was really neat for me to be able to like watch, you know, youth lacrosse being played in Canada. It's very different than it is in the U.S. and it's really special. It's really cool. Um, you know, it's funny because Darius, when I when I when I describe you to people as a player, and I never saw you play, although I did, I did uh, watch the 1993 uh, championship game um, against – who did you guys play, Philadelphia? Yeah. Was that the yeah. time when you went in and, and shot it right at the goalie's head, first, first shot? I was, uh, I was the second uh, – or that was the first championship, so that was 92. When I, 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 I accidentally hit Dallas. I didn't mean to hit him, honestly. It was a short side. You know, I, I, when, I, when I first came out of juniors, my favorite shot was short side top corner, straight overhand. Now, if, if I leaned that in a little bit and sort of went three, quor <laughs> three quarters, if, if, this, if I didn't hit my spot. I was hitting the goalie in the head. So about when I hit the pros and majors when I was shooting against men, they didn't like that very much in practice. So, and yes. <laughs> Funny story, I got when I got drafted by Brampton, right? And I was, I'm coming out of juniors, going into majors. <clears throat> and we had, like, three bench crews with uh, Brampton when I was in juniors. We had a, a fight before the game when I was in juniors. Warm-up, we had a bench crew. Then in the game, we had a bench crew. I fought everybody from Brampton, and they drafted me, so I got to go up there, right? So I'm going up there, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm going to have to fight Kevin Dance again. You know, something's going to happen in practice. I'm getting ready for that. <laughs> So nobody's really talking to me, and I'm good with that because I don't like any of these guys. And we get to towards the end of practice, and, okay, we got power play and short man. So my first practice, rookie year, they got a goalie in net about 35 years old, Tippy uh, McMillan, and uh, I try that shot. And it didn't go where I wanted it. I hit him right in the middle of the Cooper helmet. And I cut him for 14 stitches. And I I was like, I'm going to have to fight now, right? Like, oh, yeah. he was cool about it and everything like that. And everybody's like, really, like, giving me shit. And I'm like, man, you know, like, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, you know. And I come to find out he was getting married the next day. He got <laughs> married with a big bandage across his forehead. Like, I, I've never felt worse in my life than that right there that's why i quit throwing that shot in practice that story right there <laughs> but you happen to throw it against dallas elliott and hit him and knocked him out of the game in a championship game yeah yeah well you know it was that was my favorite shot sometimes in a game you, re you revert back to what you do right and oh uh, yeah i was about as square as a shot i've ever had because he had the old hockey helmet on which was hard to hit and I hit him right above between the eyes, and I, I know I, you know, he's very tough. He made it through the the first half, and I know at halftime he started vomiting and he showed signs of a concussion. So that's why he didn't finish out that game. Dwight Mackey had to finish that game out. Is it true that you would um, that you would get the a box across equivalent of a of a Gordy Howe hat trick with with goals, assists, and fights? Lead your team in penalty minutes, faceoffs, 
game winners, you know? I did I did what the moment needed. If the moment needed me to be crazy, I'd get crazy, you know, like because I but that was also a trust of the team. Like in my last year of juniors, I didn't like it very much because they were like, You can't fight, you can't do this, can't I felt very restricted in how I could play the game. Because I was always trying to avoid stuff, right? Where before it was like I didn't really care, I wanted to. And just that want to scares off half the people. So, I mean, a lot of it was a, was a big act. And, man, I got called on at one time by this big guy playing uh, for Sarnia. He's a big guy. He's about six foot four. He's a fighter. And uh, something happened in a play. I got slashed in the leg. And without thinking, I just turned and I was swinging. I was going to chop him. And I remember about halfway through the swing, I was looking at the guy's leg I was going to hit. And I'm like, holy crap. That's a big leg. Remember trying to hold up, trying not, trying to stop, and I couldn't, and I end up slashing him. And here it's Andy, the big Viking guy, and he's standing there. He's like, "Do you really want some of this, Darius?" And I'm like, "Are you giving me a choice?" He goes, "Yeah, I'll give you a choice." And I said, "Then no, I do not want any of that, and I am sorry." And I ran off the floor. <laughs> I don't need any of that, man. Like you know, they, they, there's times you get put in your place, and you're not the toughest guy, so. You know, I, I, I like the rough stuff and all that, but there are real tough guys out there. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. What was um? Tell me about one. You know, one of the top couple best memories of like the best lacrosse games that you ever played in, and some of the some of the memories you have from you know, win or lose, the best the best championship level games, the best games that you have memories of, the best plays with the best players. Um, you know, for me, it would be mostly man cup stuff because uh, you know, like those those new west games were were vicious, man. Like, to get through those, you had to be a man. And, you know, like, you know, people like John Tavares and Jim Thalton, people not known for that, like, they got down and dirty. They wanted to win. And that's what we had to do because the other team felt they weren't as talented, so they tried to muck it up. And, you know, those kind of series really bond you as a team. And, you know, the one game, um, Neil Doddridge, uh, a lot of people know who Neil Doddridge is. He was, you know, he was an average player on our team and all that. And, you know, he stepped up in a, in a huge game for us, and uh, he had five goals. Um, you know, there, there's so many of those tight games and, and you know, everything like that. But, uh, you know, Troy Coverley scoring an overtime goal against uh, New West in Brampton when uh, the floor was so slippery, they took rosin. Instead of canceling the game, they took rosin and spread it across the whole floor. So, like, everywhere you ran, there was, like, a cloud of dust coming up, and Every, you know, that's when you could smoke in the arena. And we're playing in the old memorial, only held like 800 people. And it was packed in the dust and the people smoking cigarettes. You can see the blue haze up in the rafters. And it's 100 degrees in there. And it's just a vicious game. And we pulled that one out. And, like, that was – to me, that might have been the, the biggest one for me was uh, watching, you know, Troy score that goal. I happened to be on the floor next to him and scored it. And uh, – you know, the, the, the elation, the jubilation from just unbridled passion that we had after we won that series. 
that was like my first like really yeah we we've done it you know so I would say Man Cups and, and everybody involved in there, uh, John Tavares, Rich Gilbert, Randy Mearns, you know, Brian Shannon, Bill Gary, um, Neil Doddridge, my brother Trav, uh, the list goes on. Dewey Jacobs, um, those were all very special to me. Yes, awesome. All right, switching gears. What's your philosophy on shooting? We've talked a little bit about it, but I want to dive deep into shooting and finishing. Uh, I just love talking to you about that type of stuff. Um, and um, why don't you just kick it off with some of your thoughts as it relates to any, any, however you want to start it, how you, want, how you would teach it or what you believe in or anything. Well, I think the, the first thing I try and teach is accuracy because it's not, it's not just in shooting. It's, it's in all phases of life. I mean, game, um, you know, the passing, everything you do, you have to be accurate with. And you can teach that from the very beginning. Just, you know, pick a spot on the wall, hit that spot, hit that spot you got to be able to do that because if you can't do that, then you're probably not going to be a scorer, right? You have to be accurate. Um, the second thing is, yeah, you need to have some velocity, right? You, you need to be over 90 miles an hour at the pro level to really be able to score from the outside unless you're very deceptive. Now, deception is the one that takes forever to learn because you'll do it over and over and over again, and then one time, something will happen and a light bulb will go on and you'll figure it out. But the rest of the time, you're just throwing the ball against the wall without any idea of really what you're doing. So you got, you know, you got to have a goalie in there and you just got to stay with it. But accuracy and deception and velocity, you get those three things and shoot it. You'll be unstoppable. You can score inside, outside. And, you know, like nowadays there's so many people like that just want to go to the net. Man, the outside shot, that spreads the defense. That gets the goalie off the line. That, that does so many things when you can score from the outside. So, you know, like you need to develop all different kinds of shots the same way. You know, like John Tavares had a go-to move. Everybody gets a go-to move. Um, but me, I never did. All I had was accuracy. Every time I came down on a breakaway, I never faked. I always just shot whatever I was going to do, and it was just about hit your spot. But I was, I was really, really accurate when I played, and I worked on that. But uh, overall, those three things, if you can do those three things, you'll have success at every level. One time, you, one time uh, you, we were talking about um, – I was talking to you about deception and shooting, and I was talking about your wind-up and, 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 and kind of which way your foot points. And uh, I was watching a lot of films, and so if you're a right-handed player – and you pointed your foot towards the near pipe, it opened your body up to shoot it to the far pipe. And if you stepped more towards the far pipe, it kept your body closed and you could yank that ball and hold the goalie on the far pipe so you could yank it to the near pipe. And you were like, yeah, no, I don't believe in any of that. I just stepped right towards the middle of the goalie and it's all about your weight transfer. And so explain that concept of transferring your weight and making that, that transfer deceptive. Well, basically what you just said, like if I open up my left foot as a right shooter, right, my body is going to turn towards where my left foot is pointed. So if I leave my left foot closed, I'm not going to get full rotation. So it's hard to get it short side. Now in box across, goalies notice those things. Like, you've seen me do this where I'll shoot at a goalie without a, without a ball, but he'll step where I was shooting. Well, how could he know where I was shooting if I didn't have a ball? 
because he picked up on all my little body tendencies. So that's another great drill for guys. That's an amazing drill. Yeah, shoot without a ball. The goalie will still react because he's reacting to your body, right? And then learn to like, hey, man, I can get, oh, I did this. Oh, I was shooting far side top corner. And the goalie's like, no, you weren't. Now grab a ball and do it. And you'll see how open it is. That deception and knowing the goalie's tendencies, but like the foot, right? Like if I open my foot up and I start bringing my hip and my right shoulder through, but I drag my hands and at the last second, I push and turn my hand over. That's basically going to go far side top corner. But everything I told the goalie was, I'm going short side top corner. So, you know, we talked about this down in Florida. Every time you wind up, when you have time that the goalie's looking at you and you're winding up, he's evaluating what you're doing and where you're going. Otherwise, he'll never get there if you have a hard shot, right? So he's guessing. Tell him a story with your body and know the story you're telling with, it, with your body. That's how you become deceptive. It's all in the body. If you can learn to deceive a goalie with your body, you, you get everything else fall into place. So, and again, that drill, try it. It really works. That's amazing. What a great idea. Um, back to one, uh, one comment I want to make is as it relates to your weight transfer is that you talk about when you transfer your weight from your back foot to your front foot, the goalie is expecting the ball. And if you can transfer your weight and have some hesitation, the, you can freeze the goalie. And then you can put it wherever you want. Explain that. Yeah, it's almost like a hitch. You know, like you, you guys in field, they call it a hitch. You know what I mean? Like give it a little hitch. It's almost a little pump. But if you can, if you can come through and, and slow your hands down, but speed your body up, right? So your weight's coming through. The goalie's expecting the ball to come right with it. But if I can bring my weight through and keep my hands behind my shoulder, I can, I can have a late curve with the with the weight transfer but it, you know that's part of the deception right right if, if i had come through the goalie's already starting to react to, to my shoulders and everything like that and it's hard for him to go back so and, and that's why i always like the traditional stick you know i can get a hook into it at, when i when i try and break my wrist so late a lot of times the ball like if i use mesh and i try and throw curveballs they always go high and inside of where i want it right with my with my traditional, I can hook it to where I, I almost missed the net outside. So there's a lot of little tricks, but the weight the weight coming through is right along with the, the the footwork, the shoulders, and the hips, right? Like if you can get those three three things working together, I don't care who it is, the goalie will be deceived, and that's that's basically what I want. Yeah, no doubt. You know, Hunts always used to talk, uh, the late, great Dave Huntley always talked about, you know, if you shoot through your front foot, the goalie's going to catch it. And he, that, that, he talked about shooting right through your front foot as not, as not being a good thing to do. Sometimes you don't have time, honestly, and you just got to shoot it. Um, right. Sometimes when you don't have time, but you have a shot you want to take, that's when I think you automatically push it far side and lean near side because you don't have time. But if you do have time, now you can transfer your weight. You can hold the goalie, and you can yank it near side because you have the time to hold them on the far side. Or, you know, you can curve it or put it wherever you want it. But, you know, that's one of the things that, that is 
you know, you said it earlier, if you shoot on a goalie enough, the light bulb will go off. You will figure it out. And that's the whole key because we can explain it all day, but until you figure it out, you're not going to figure it out. You don't, you, you can understand it and not be able to do it. I, you know, coaching, coaching young guys now with the junior B team and stuff. I, one of the things I love about coaching that age group is I see light bulbs every practice. I see kids figuring something out every practice from what I'm, you know, what we're trying to accomplish as a team or whatever it is, you know, like somebody will say, I get it now. I was just doing it, but I didn't understand it. Now I understand it. Right. And the understanding is the thing. Right. I, I hope that every kid that walks away from my team, if another coach said to him, what's your game plan on defense? He can say, we want to force down, maybe double, maybe we'll split, but we want to force down. We want to help. You know what I mean? Like they got the concept of what we're trying to do. Not just, Oh, I'm going to go out and get this guy to go there. Why? I don't know. You know, like if you don't know why you're doing something, you're just doing it. Right. And you're not learning from it. Always learn from the situation, right? Even if it's wrong, learn from it, right? And that goes back to that, you know, we talked about before, three types of players, right? The dumb player, tell him over and over and over again, he'll never get it. You got the average player, you tell him he learns from his own mistakes. You got the smart player who sees you tell the average player, and he says, I'm going to learn from his mistake, not mine, right? Now, I always tell the players, what are you going to be? Because it's really a choice, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, finishing. You know, I am uh, – I just love – there's so many great ways to finish. Uh, and we talk about it all the time, every single time. I mean, how many times have we been in the parking lot after a, after a minor lacrosse game doing, like, finishing drills, you know, in front of the hood of a car so that, you know, we, we, I can be like, hey, what do you think of this finish? Or you'll be like, no, that, that finish sucks. You, you got to try to finish. Um, but um, where do you start from te when you teach finishing? And then where do you take it to and, and explain some of the, you know, basic fundamentals of it and then some of the nuances when you get real good? Um, well, the really, really good one, that's for somebody else to teach because I was never a finisher. But what I can tell you is, you know, and this comes from John Tavares, uh, said this to me one time. I asked him because he, you know, this is John Tavares explaining this to me. I said, John, what do you do on a breakaway? He goes, well, on the first one, I go far side every time. I just shoot, right? So that's his mentality right off the bat. I'm getting multiple breakaways. But the first shot is a setup. If you shoot it far side right away, now the goalie is set up like, okay, he's going to shoot. So now I got to bite. So that sets up the second fake, right? So you come in or the first fake. So you come in the second time, the goalie's already waiting for you to throw that. And you throw that fake. And as he jumps, you can come back where he was at, right? So you always got to have a second step, you know, and, and you were talking about that. Like when I throw this fake, I want the goalie to do this so I can get this. But if he doesn't do that, then I still have this. Right? Don't go in there and say, I'm going to go far side, short side. Because you walk in there and what if the goalie doesn't bite? Now what are you going to do? You're just going to throw it into his chest? And I see kids do that all the time. And all, all it tells me is they're not watching the goalie. They had it in their head what they were going to do. So really it's about who can, who can make the decision latest. 
who's going to, who's going to flinch first, right? Is the goalie going to jump or am I going to run out of space and have to shoot it? But if you shoot far side every time to start, that's a great way to like coming across the net. That's a great way to start. Go reach around far side and just go with that, man. That's the easiest thing I can teach a kid from the beginning because the fakes the fakes are hard, man. It, 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 some people got them and some people don't. I never developed them. So I'm not a great, like, one-on-one finisher with a goalie. I'm better with somebody, like, on me where the goalie has to bite on it. But if I'm straight out in front of the goalie by myself, I'm shooting it straight and I'm, I'm reaching far side. That's, that's all I can do, really, because I, I've seen goalies actually smile after I fake. And I was like, okay, I'm not a faker. I, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, what about, you know, what's I think really interesting that, that I've, I've watched and noticed when I've watched you messing around on goalies is the way you use your feet. And I feel like the cadence of your shuffle, your front shuffle or your side shuffle makes a huge difference in your ability to manipulate the goalie. Explain that. Well, go, you know, again, goalies are always looking at everything and you know, uh, the one, uh, the one time I, I was coming in, and I noticed the bigger the step I took, the more the goalie leaned with me. So that sort of built into like, okay, small, 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 big. But that big one, really, what I was saying was, I'm shooting. So I could get a goalie to bite more on my footwork than I could with my stick. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and like you were saying, it's a short, short cadence and a big one because it that big one is what sells it. It, 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 it just looks like a the, to the goalies like I gotta cover that or else it's open. So if you're coming like straight in, my my one buddy Trevor Rydal used to come in, and he would hop on his left foot. So we come in and hop on his left foot one time, and then shoot. And I was like, how the hell is that working? And I I swear I watched the goalie, and the goalie was like didn't know what he was doing, and it just unsettled him for a second and then Trevor just banged it home and it was such a brilliant little footwork thing that you know it just made me start going okay well if he can do that with his feet let's try this let's try that you know and that's where you you need to integrate what other people do because I went and I tried that and I couldn't get it like him but I could get the step and I could get the shuffle you know so Everything you do, the goalie's aware of. Footwork, shoulder, shoulder pulls, everything like that. Be aware of that because they are. The, uh, that hop you're referring to is interesting because it's a, lot like, it's, it's a lot like a jump shot, right? So when you shoot a jump shot, one of the things about a jump shot, and I know a lot, a lot of people don't shoot jump shots in box, right? But what a jump shot does do, though, is it's, it's like transferring your weight to your front foot, but it's a, it's a hop. And that front foot has that's, it gives you the front foot hesitation, and and and, because, and so the same thing can happen on your windup. I remember uh, Colin was telling me that Larson Sundown was doing this that he would wind up and he'd transfer he'd go low high wind up and transfer his weight to his front foot and he'd kind of hop on that foot and then freeze the goalie with that same type of cadence even though it was on an outside shot. And I've seen people do it on inside shots. And by the way. If you fake, okay, think about a, a subtle behind-the-back fake finish. That's a front foot hesitation. It's not so yep. much a hop as it is a hesitation. But yep. 
but it's, it's that same foot. It's on your left foot, and that allows you to hold the goalie. Um, and, 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 and just what you're saying there, like, if you didn't do it on your left foot, it wouldn't work. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're a right-handed, we're talking for listeners. No, you're a right-handed player, and you want to like freeze the goalie with a behind-the-back fake. It ends up being a hesitation on your left foot, and that left foot hesitation is the same hop, really, that I, I believe you're talking about that your uh, other friend had done. Yeah, you know, it, it, I, if we're gonna liken it to basketball, it's like a pump fake. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like they give that quick pump fake and then go up, and that guy, you know, he, it just throws him off to where he can't jump. It's the same thing to a goalie. The goalie's like, oh. oh. And then he sort of sets, and then it just it just surprised him. It, 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 that that back be, behind the back, you've done that to me, and it's so because it's like if I don't cover it, you'll shoot it. Yeah. If I do cover it, now it's a race to the far post, right? And it's yeah. just, it's very very hard to cover that little that little deception because it's it's so big too. Because for me as a goalie, it's four feet. You know, I got to cover from here all the way over to here. For you, it's a hesitation, right? Like, that's all it is. So, it, it's, that's a beautiful one, man. And I hate that. Do that's the best one. And, and it's, in fact, I think it might be the easiest way to, to teach a fake is, is that. But the nuance to it that everyone screws up is they over-fake it. And when you over-fake it, meaning twisting your body back too far and your stick back too far – now the goalie has time to be able to recover to your far side shot. Whereas right. if you basically keep your stick in a shooting position for the far side while you turn your shoulders back and give the, the goalie the idea that you're, that you're going to do that. And it's a nuance that's really hard for people to get. But, yeah. but, but I always wonder, like, why isn't this working? And then I realized, it's like, oh, I was over-rotating on my behind-the-back fake, so it was taking me too long to, fo to follow through and finish far side. Whereas if I fake it with my shoulders but keep my hands in front of my body, I can, I can like, release it quicker. You agree yeah. with that? Yeah, for sure. That's exactly it, right? It, it's a race for me to beat you to the far post. And if you rotate too far back, I beat you to the post. You know, and it's the same thing, like, I always tell, like, I see young kids coming in throwing fakes and they're throwing that over the top, like, coming in on the goalie. And it's like, kid, by the time you wind that back up, the goalie's reset. So the fake did nothing. Like, the fake on the crease is a turn of the wrist this way. The fake from the outside, like, the fake pass is over the top like that, right? Right. It's such a subtle difference. But that this is all you need when you're in front of the net. Anything over the top takes too long to reset, and the goalies reset. Yeah, no that's, doubt. That's uh, such it, a big one. It is. It really is. And it's uh, – I don't know. It's so much fun to, to try to do it and think about it. It reminds me of – so when I was 35, I tried out for the Mammoth. And right. Gary Gate, it was Gary – you know, the Mammoth was the Mammoth's first year. And I, I told Govett, I was like, hey, I want to try out. And he just laughed. I'm like, what are you laughing for? I was like – I'm serious. I want to try out. I, 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 was a, I was a Division I head coach at the time. There was no way I was going to be able to play, even if I made the team, which I didn't. But I was like, I'm trying out. I'm getting in shape. I went to tryouts. Um, and I'm watching Gary Gate finish, and I'm just, like, in awe of the guy, right? And what he did every single time, he would catch the ball, and then he would look. He would turn his head 
and look right at the head of his stick with his eyes. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? Like, do you know what I mean? Like he would like literally turn his head. Yeah. And, and, and as if like he was talking to his, having a conversation eye to eye with the head of his stick, but his stick was like behind him, you know? And, and, and uh, Gubba was like, oh, it's, it's the Victoria look back. But, but what that did was it froze the goalies very similar to a behind the back fake. Right. And so when he would turn his head, the goal, and then all of a sudden he could shoot right from that position or he could come out faking from that position. And yeah. it was just like mesmerizing me. And thankfully I wasn't the goalie. Um, <laughs> but but it, it, it's just like there's so many unbelievable – interesting ways to learn how to finish um and i think that they're also applicable but to me the more i learn the more i realize they're all almost all the same in in a certain way do you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean it's it's like you know for for me to come out and try and show somebody how to do stick fakes and stuff like that that's really hard to do because the you know the the stick fakes are hard man i i don't know them that that well you know but the footwork anyone can do yeah and, and it's really you need the footwork and the shoulders and everything together for the stick to work you know what i mean so i, I myself i'd rather be deceptive with my body and my feet because i'm just not very good with the stick yeah cool all right let's talk a little bit of changing gears um Let's talk a little bit about um, two-man game. What, you know, so many people, uh, you know, uh, in field lacrosse, the two-man game has become huge with all the big littles on the wings and behind. And it's, it's because you know, from an analytics perspective, the scoring percentages are higher coming out of two-man games than in isolations. Um, and you're seeing more and more and more of it. Um, you're a master of teaching it what's your starting point on teaching two man games and just elaborate a little bit. You know, I, I just started to change my philosophy and how I teach it. Um, basically what I want to get across to all the kids is what are we trying to get out of a two man game? I mean, truthfully, what are we trying to get out of a two man game? We're trying to get a two on one and then break that down into a free shot on the goalie. Right. Yeah. And, I think the biggest problem I'm having with kids is they don't recognize when it's a two-on-one. Like, they're so used to, like, and getting pounded into, go set that hard pick, go do this, go do that. And it's like, that's great, but, like, let's start with the concept of break it to a two-on-one. If we can get it to a two-on-one, we're okay. So whether it's a hard pick or a slip pick or, or a sealed pick or whatever it is, we're trying to get it to a two-on-one, so let's start there, right? Now, then we go through and talk about, like, okay, well, this position, you know, if, if you're above the guy, then, you know, you're coming down. You want to be inside. You want to make sure you roll. Guy coming around, draw the guy out, flip to the middle, you know, a hard pick, and then go through every pick with them. Hard pick, seal pick, slip pick, double picks, and then – get them to understand which pick to use to break it to a two-on-one you know like a lot of energy is wasted trying to set these hard picks all the time when a slip pick is much more effective like i'm really turning into a slip pick freak like i love them it it causes so much confusion with the defense 
And that's really – that's the other thing we're trying to, uh, you know, create as an offense is if we can confuse the defense, then we're good. We're going to break them down. So how do we create that confusion, right? And slip picks I'm finding is one of the best ones. The, 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 the hard picks and all that, they're – you know, I love them, but they're getting really hard to run because everybody's doing it and everybody's, you know, getting used to it and understanding how to defend it, you know. So it's about what's the next step. And I think, uh, you know, slipping through and then maybe a hard pick and, and doing it that way. But the main thing, learn to find the two-on-one. If you can break it to a two-on-one, you'll be successful from there. What do you, what do you think about this uh, progression? I, I, I've, as you have, I've, I've coached a ton of kids and tried to teach them to game on the field, in the box, wherever. and. What I found was, and you just referred to it a minute ago, what I found was teaching the seal pick first, meaning I'm going to pick my own guy off. I'm going to push him in, and now the onus is on the dodger to set his man up and either use that pick or if you get overplayed to the pick, you know, go underneath. And, and, and just – but it's, the, the onus starts with – setting your own man up and beating your own man, knowing that there's this seal pick right there. Basically, it's almost like two, two picks because you're sealing your own man. And then from there, if you f it, it teaches everybody, you know, the understanding of, hey, I'm sealing my man off and there's space that we want to attack. And you can do this on ball or off ball. And then, and then when, when a defender fights through, that seal, you know, that's your cue to slip out of there. You know that you're going to be the open man because he's fighting through and you're going to let him go. And then the next step is I seal my own man, but now I, I leave my man to go set a hard pick or a slip pick. And now all of a sudden I've created a little bit of separation from my man because I was sealing him. He's kind of used to that. Now I leave him and run off and go attack uh, like I was going to set a hard pick, but I can also fake that hard pick and slip it. And now my man's in this trailing position behind the play, waiting to see if he should switch or not, which allows me to be open on my slip pick. And um, see, see, but, see, right there, right there is exactly what I'm talking about, right? If I'm, you're coming down to set a pick, right? Yep. And you got the guy in the trail position, right? Yep. There's the two on one. He's outside of you. Why don't yep. you just break the net? The guy with the net go to the net, and you guys got a two-on-one -on, on the bottom, right? Yeah. That's what I mean. Recognize the two-on-one -on first, right? Because, hey, if you got if you got that guy in the trailing position, we're already in a two-on-one. -on we don't need the hard pick. We don't need to confuse everything. Just go to the net. Right. And the thing with teaching with a seal pick, that's hard to do because you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but it's still the two-on-one, though. It is the two-on-one uh, because when you see oh, – yeah, yeah. If no, you beat your man top side, that's also a two-on-one. For me, like in my team, the first time that happened, someone got sealed, I would stop the practice and be like, that never happens again. That cannot happen because if you get sealed, it's a shot right from the middle coming over the top, best shot in lacrosse. Yeah, but I see it all the time. And across, in, in field lacrosse, you know, it happens all the time. Um, you know, you shouldn't – you're right, you should not get sealed. 
uh, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm really, what I'm really talking about is just a, a way to um, instruct people on the reads of the whole thing, because like you said, there's a lot of different ways, but the bottom line is, is that you have to be able to understand what you're doing. And when you just start telling people to set picks, they don't. If you just tell people to V cut in, they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. And so the little progression I was referring to is, was because it, it teaches an awareness of, okay, I'm going to tell the defense, hey, don't, you're not allowed to switch. I'm going to set this seal. You dodge off of it. There's your two-on-one. And if they fight through it, you slip it. There's your two-on-one. And if you release from it and they trail you, now you can slip it. There's your two-on-one. And it's, it's, just so, it's, it's not so much that I'm expecting that everyone's going to get sealed as much as it's a starting point for understanding what you're actually doing. Right, right. And I totally go the other way now. Like, I used to coach like that. Yeah. You know, I'll start with a hard pick. Start with a slip pick. Start with understanding. Right. Start with the understanding that we're breaking this to a two-on-one. So, if you see a two-on-one, go for it. Because if you can do that and you recognize the two-on-one, I don't care what defense you're playing against, you'll be able to adjust to it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to stand here as a coach and say to players, like, hey, they're running a, a switch, right? So we want to run slip picks. Okay, they're trying to stay man-to-man. We're running hard picks, right? If they understood how to break it to a two-on-one, they wouldn't need any of that kind of guidance, you know what I mean? They'd be able to understand it, which is what we talked about earlier about that's where you understand the backyard lacrosse, right? Right, yeah. That, That teaches you, like, hey, this works. Right. And that's the biggest thing is to give some like if if I'm coaching a kid and I say, hey, go do this and it doesn't work. What's what do you think that kid thinks? "Ah, This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. Why would I listen to him now? Whatever you whatever little bit you give to a player, you better make sure it works, because if it works, he'll come back with a, you know, an empty cup. Fill it. If you give him bad advice. You lost his trust. He will never – he won't believe anything you say to him again. You know what I mean? And it becomes real hard to coach like that. Yeah, especially if you don't have video. If you ever have video, you can be like, yeah, it would have worked, but you didn't do it. <laughs> Just watch it on video. Yeah, and that happens all the time too. Like, you know, when I first start running this defense, it's like, you know, uh, I remember Troy Corley kept saying to me, well, what do we do if he gets over the top? And finally, I just looked at him and said, Troy, nothing. If he gets over the top, we're not running the defense, so we're screwed. Like, that's – I'm not changing it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. go with this, right? And it's and it's the way of coaching. And that's another – you know, I learned that when I was going through this. Like, Troy kept, kept – well, what if? What if? Well, what if you can't do the job and I fire you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's where it comes to. If You, you know, if you can't stop the guy from getting over the top, it's not because the defense is wrong. It's because you're wrong, you know, and I got to get another player in here. And then it's, am I explaining it right? Then I got to go through, do I have his footwork right and all that? But in the end, if I'm giving you all the information and you can't get grasp it, then I got to get rid of you, you know, and that's at the highest level, of course. Yeah, for sure. You know what I was, I was really impressed this summer watching, and I've been impressed for the last couple of summers watching boxing. 
um, watching the way um, the way Coquitlam swings the ball, and I feel like swinging the ball and getting the ball moving from one side to the other is 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 like the entire key to all the two man games. And when you when you just and you know maybe I'm wrong because I'm not I'm really not a box cross expert, um, but what I notice is that is that when you if you watch Saskatchewan they do this so well too. They swing the ball so much that when they're running a two-man game on one side, they swing it before they even look for the pick and roll. And then they yeah. feed the roll man on nation's looks, or they don't, but, but they get the, the whole thing moving. They get the ball moving so effectively. And I feel like that's honestly where the brilliance of two-man games comes in when it's both on ball and ball and it's swinging. You know, like, I love Saskatchewan. I love them. That's a team I love to watch because you can see the schemes. I can watch your game and be like, I can see their defense. I can see what they're trying to do on offense. I mean, this is how I'm seeing this. I, I don't understand this, right? Now, Saskatchewan's offense is all based on timing and swinging and all that, right? So why do you let them do it? If you pressure the shit out of the guy in the corner and make him go to the net, he becomes a dodger, not, and he's not part of an offense anymore. Everybody's like, well, let's let them run their offense and then try and stop it in their offense. And it's like, no, you're already playing their game. You lose. It's over. Unless you can make them play your game, they will break you down. So, for me, I don't, I don't focus on, like, how would I stop Saskatchewan's two-on-two game? I'd make it stay on the left side. I'd lock on that weak side and, and wouldn't let them swing it. Or – I, the first guy that touches it over there, you're going to pressure him so hard he's going to the net and they don't have a chance to run a pick and roll. We'll get our double team and we'll get, we'll get our rotation long. That's how I look at defense. I don't care what you do. You will react to me because I am going to pressure you. That takes all timing out of the sport of lacrosse. Yeah, no people, doubt. But people want to pack it in and let them run an offense and then be like, well, how do we – you know, why are they scoring? Well, you're letting a bunch of pro offensive guys run in offense. They're going to get a good shot. And guess what that turns into? That's a goal, guy. You know, they're too good. Nets are too big. I mean, I I just get frustrated watching this stuff with, with nobody coming up with new plans, you know? Yeah. Like, do something. Change. You ain't beating them. Four out of – three out of four, right? Yeah. Yeah, they've been um, they've been kind of the class of the league, no doubt. I mean, uh, Georgia was pretty good there that that year, and they got some they got some real talent. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really it's um it's it's all such fascinating stuff there. Um, I, I want to ask you a question be before we go here. Um, who's the best box lacrosse player in your mind in the history? Of <laughs> you set me up. You set me up. I did because you told me this many times. So I'm going to wait and see if you give me the same answer. I'll be honest with you. Casey Powell was the best player I've, I've ever seen play um, and coach against. He, you know, at a time when our defense was pretty dominant, he was, he, he changed my mind. I couldn't pressure him. I had to do different things against him. And, to see where to see where he came from the beginning of his career to the end of his box career, I have so much respect for him because he definitely took the time to learn the game of lacrosse, a uh, box cross. And once he did, he he was unstoppable. Best passer, best shooter, best finisher, best dodger, 
Um, I just I, I can't say enough about the guy and, and how much I respect his game. Casey Powell, the best box across player ever in your mind. And this is um and this is also at a time just to just to make sure all the listeners know you were the head coach of the Buffalo Bandits. You guys were world champions. You had a defense that you just referred to as um, one of the best defenses of the era. Um, and, you know, it was all about pressure, forcing down, staying on doubles. Um, and you just couldn't do that with him because he was just too fast, too skilled. He was two-handed, you know. Um, yeah. But he was laughing, you know, and so smart, so fast, so smooth, um, so unselfish yeah. too. You know, yeah. You know, you know when he made, when in my mind, when he made the big turn to being unstoppable, Early in his career, you could pressure him, and he would go to the net, and he would end up taking that big hit and, and getting hurt. He transitioned from I'm going to the net to I'm going to suck you out, and I'm going to open up somebody else. When he made that transition, he became unstoppable. You know, because when he was going to the net, he was unstoppable, but we could hit him. You know, we'd get a hit on him because yeah. he's going to the net. We knew where to meet him. But when he started going around the guy and then just spreading the defense, Man, that put us in really bad positions, and, and it elevated his game and New York's game. Speaking of great players, uh, there's a young player out there right now that I think is pretty special, one of the best players I've seen that we haven't talked about yet today, but I want to get your opinions on Jeff T. Um, uh, unbelievable. Um, he reminds me so much of, like, uh, um, John Tavares in terms of the way he thinks the game. Um, he's not so he doesn't go to the net like John did, but he's always one step ahead of what everybody else is thinking. And that was John Tavares. Um, he just he knows the game of lacrosse and he he understands the game of lacrosse so much. He's just on another level with, with his mind, you know, and, and then to throw in how accurate he is, how deceptive he is in his shooting. It's just it's, it, it's really great to see someone like that coming up. Because uh, he's done it the right way, and I have a lot of respect for him and his father. Yeah, he is. Um, I, I've watched him play box a lot. I saw him in this past Minto Cup, but you know, just kind of being up in Ontario in the summers, I remember seeing him when he was, you know, playing for Brampton um, in 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 minor lacrosse. And the guy just somehow feathered the ball into the net. You're just, it's just he just made it look so easy. It was almost like stupid. Somehow he would just throw the ball, and it would just go top right. And it was just not even like he threw it hard. And it was just in the goal. And it was like he just did it, did it four or five times a game. And if people understood how hard it is to score, you know, in box across, they would have even a greater appreciation for it. But, you know, with, with Teeter, I look at it like this, like Austin Stotts is one of the biggest arguments me and my brother had in the last five years was he's like, well, you know, would you take Austin or would you take Teeter coming out if they came out in the same draft? And I said, I'd take Teeter. And, you know, it's no slight against Austin. Austin's tremendous, and he deserves to be number one pick overall. But Austin's game is he's going to score, and that's Austin's game, right? He's not going to – it's really not about the team game right, right yet. And he's very, very young, so he's going to keep evolving and everything like that. But Keeter involves more people in the offense, and it, I just think he would be harder to stop because he plays without the ball a lot of times. Where with Austin, the ball's in his stick a lot, and you and you know you can double that, and you, you know what I mean. You can get the ball out of his stick. Where with Teeter, he doesn't want the ball until it's that second, and then give me the ball, and I'll make a decision out of it. And that's a little bit harder to stop because you can't get a double team on him 
and everybody's dangerous, you know. So I they're both tremendous players. I but I just think Teets game's a little bit more elevated than Austin's right now. But Austin has a chance to be one of the great players of all time. Yeah, I mean Austin stats, um, you know, what was it two years ago? He played in the Man Cup for the Chiefs when he was 18 years old. And is it fair to say he was relatively dominant? He was he was a factor in that series. And as an 18-year-old playing against guys of that level, that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And he he had an amazing series against Peterborough. Like he was he definitely was one of the reasons that they made it to the Man Cup. He had some huge goals in that series against Peterborough. And then in the Minto Cup in 2017, he was totally dominant. Everyone's heard of Tahoka, and Tahoka is incredible. Um, you know, and Tahoka is like, you know, more of a field lacrosse you know, mainstream name in the game. Um, Austin would have been had he gone, followed his brother's footsteps to step skate. But, um, but man, he was one of the best players I'd seen, you know, at the junior level, that's for sure. And, and, and uh, so it's a, it's a tough, it's tough to compare players anyways, but uh, both so smart, so skilled, their accuracy, their shooting, their toughness. I mean, very different bodies, you know, Jeff Teets, 5'10", 150. Oh, you know, Stotts is probably, I don't know. You know, six, six, six feet, six one, two hundred and five pounds or something. Um, but yeah, beasts. Yeah, beasts as players though. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And just so you know, man, everybody out there, the name, the the way to pronounce his name is Dahoga. The T and the K are Mohawk, so the T is a D, and the K is a G. I hear Quint Tesnick saying that all the time. It's Dahoga. Dahoga. Yeah, not Tahoka. Or Dehoga. Right. Some people, I hear them say Dehoga. Well, hey, Darius, this has been uh, a pleasure as usual. This is just uh, on the list of um, a lot of conversations about lacrosse that we have had and that we uh, will uh, have in the future. Um, But this has been as good of one as we've had. I'm so glad I was able to record it and share it with all these listeners. Um, really pumped up to have you on do a webinar uh, coming up in a couple of weeks too um, on the virtual lacrosse summit. So I really, I would really love nothing more than to be able to get the world to, to, to be able to hear you, what I get to hear on a regular basis when I pick your brain on lacrosse. So thanks again for coming on. Have a great rest of the weekend and uh, we will be in touch. Definitely, man. Thanks for having me, man. Always fun talking to you, brother. All right, man. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.